To bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, April seventeenth, two thousand seventeen, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 924 and coming up on today's show in the news, there's word of conflict between Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and attorney general Jeff Sessions on criminal justice reform. In our cannabis focus, Trump's pick for drug czar took $150,000 from Big Pharma and wrote legislation to protect them while voting against medical marijuana. In drug war data mining, Yahoo News has a comprehensive new poll called Weed and the American Family. And in our activist agenda, we replay speeches from me and other activists who spoke this weekend at the Boise Hemp Fest. You'll hear from Beverly Hills Cannabis Club's Cheryl Schumann, Portland Normal's Leland Berger, Southern Oregon Alternative Medicine's Lori Duckworth, POW420's Adela Falk, and more. But first, let's get to the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, April 17th, 2017. The New York Times reports that the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, has pushed to overhaul the criminal justice system, a goal that Donald Trump embraced as a candidate near the end of the campaign when he tried to siphon black voters away from Hillary Clinton. But Mr. Kushner is running into opposition from Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who favors toughening, not relaxing, mandatory minimum sentences. Meanwhile, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly said Sunday on Meet the Press that marijuana, quote, is not a factor when it comes to the war on drugs and that solving the nation's drug problem does not involve, quote, arresting a lot of users. Secretary Kelly cited meth, heroin, and cocaine as the bulk of the drug war, leading to 52,000 deaths in America last year. He said the solution is to lower demand in the United States. Recent data shows that access to medical marijuana reduces the demand for opiate painkillers, but Attorney General Sessions recently dismissed that science as, quote, stupid, end quote. Wisconsin's Governor Scott Walker is set to sign into law a bill that would legalize possession of a marijuana extract used to treat seizures. The governor has scheduled a bill signing for Monday in Burlington. The Republican-controlled legislature this year approved a bill to make cannabidiol legal with a doctor's certification. The oil doesn't produce a high. Parents of children who suffer seizures say it can ease symptoms. Walker said earlier he supported a narrowly crafted measure on medical marijuana. Kentucky agriculture officials say they burned a fraction of the hemp crop being grown in the state for commercial purposes because it contained a higher level of a psychoactive compound than is legally allowed. About 100 pounds of hemp were burned Thursday, said Brent Burchett, director of plant marketing for the state agriculture department. Grower Lindsay Todd cultivated most of the burned hemp, which was to be turned into medicine. Todd said her product was not psychoactive and that the 0.3% THC limit is, quote, an unrealistic number, end quote. 
She was approved for up to six acres of hemp this year, but she said she won't raise that much. She said she'll probably grow no more than an acre and predicted that the state's handling of her crop will cause other growers to cut back on production. An ordinance will be voted on tonight in Atlanta, Georgia, to decriminalize personal marijuana possession. This proposed ordinance has the ability to make possession of marijuana under one ounce a non-arrestable offense and to lower the fine to a maximum ticket of $75. Under current Georgia law, marijuana possession is illegal, and the possession of any amount of marijuana can result in 180 days of jail time, a fine of up to $1,000, and not to mention a litany of collateral consequences that impacts one employment, housing, family, and life opportunities. State lawmakers approved a bill Monday in Colorado that would allow counties to levy and collect sales tax on recreational marijuana, a move inspired by a standoff between Adams County and three of its cities that could wind up in the state Supreme Court. The measure, if signed into law by Governor John Hickenlooper, would allow counties to impose a pot tax in unincorporated areas without challenge, but would have to enter into an intergovernmental agreement with cities and towns to tax weed there. Adams County caught the wrath of Commerce City, North Glen, and Aurora in 2015 when the three cities challenged the county's decision to impose a 3% tariff on recreational pot sold throughout the county, regardless of whether municipalities had already instituted their own marijuana sales tax. The cities argued in their lawsuit that by layering a, an additional tax on a transaction, Adams County was putting their marijuana businesses at a competitive disadvantage to shops in nearby counties that didn't have to charge an additional levy. Regulations for Ohio's medical marijuana growers have been finalized. Cleveland.com is reporting that the state regulatory boards have allowed marijuana to be grown on up to 24 licensed sites statewide. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, April 17th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Don't kid yourself. Taking drugs does mess up your life. It's not cool anymore. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. Get your tickets now for the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference happening one day only in Eugene, Oregon on Friday, April 28th. You'll learn all about the latest OLCC regulations for adult-use cannabis, including testing requirements, tech and branding, taxes and distribution, and the latest developments in medical marijuana regulations. OMBC features networking with Oregon's leading experts in marijuana, including State Senator Floyd Przanski. You'll also get to hear from author, actor, and punk rock icon Henry Rollins delivering the keynote address. Early bird pricing is available for conference-only and VIP passes, which gets you access to the VIP networking events featuring Henry Rollins and other speakers. It's the 2017 Oregon Marijuana Business Conference. Tickets available now at OregonMBC.com. That's OregonMBC.com before April 14th to get your early bird pricing. OregonMBC.com. Marijuana is not addictive. 
But listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Is this right? Just try not to drool quite so much on the end of it. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the opiate epidemic, which President Donald Trump has uh, recently got his sights set on in building a opioid epidemic uh, uh, task force headed by Governor Chris Christie. But uh, belying his seriousness about going after the opiate epidemic is his recent selection of Representative Tom Marino, expected to be named Director of Office of National Drug Control Policy, a.k.a. the nation's drug czar. Now, Marino would become the first congressman to become a drug czar in our nation's history and the western pencil or the northeastern pennsylvania district that he represents is one of many that have been ravaged by the opiate epidemic international business times took a look at this guy and what they found is that he has been pulling in money from the very same opiate manufacturers that President Trump supposedly wants to go after. He has received more than $150,000 in donations from the pharmaceutical industry throughout his political career, including $71,000 in the last election. This is according to maplight.org and opensecrets.org. And for Tom Marino of Pennsylvania, he received more money from the pharmaceutical industry than any other sector. So this is a congressman who has been bought and sold by the pharmaceutical industry. And as our nation is facing this opioid crisis, the source of this crisis is the mass production and mass marketing of these addictive opiates. Many physicians are fighting against the idea of Marino as drugs are, as evidenced by his his uh, being in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industry. Dr. Andrew Kolodny, the co-director of the opioid policy research at Brandeis University, also the co-founder of Physicians for Responsible Opioid Prescribing, told IBT, quote, this is the opposite of draining the swamp. In the midst of a public health crisis, Trump is putting at the helm of the ONDCP someone who has worked for the opioid lobby against efforts to bring the epidemic under control. End quote. Now, throughout this opiate epidemic, it has been shown that it is the pharmaceutical companies who are to blame for this. In the medical marijuana alone, since 1996, there have been 10 and 20 fold increases in the amount of opiate painkillers that these companies have been allowed to produce by the DEA's Office of Diversion Control. And they have been misleading the public when they market these drugs to the people that end up getting addicted to them. Purdue Pharmaceuticals, for example, the creator of OxyContin, they pled guilty to misleading doctors about the drug's addictiveness and agreed to pay $600 million in fines in 2007. Three executives from Purdue also agreed to pay $34.5 million in fines. According to Georgetown University's Dr. Adrienne Few-Berman, 
the uh, director of Farmed Out, a group that advocates for responsible prescribing practices, quote, this epidemic was created by pharmaceutical companies. That's not too strong to say, end quote. The growth of opiate use in this country throughout the uh, the 90s and the 2000s is uh, shown in a chart that they with the uh, story, deaths from prescription drugs in the U.S., opiates making up the vast majority of the deaths from prescription drugs, with under 5,000 before the year 2000 to well over 20,000 now in the year, most recent year, 2015. Cities and counties are also bringing lawsuits against drug distributors. Uh, the three largest distributors, McKesson Corporation, Cardinal Health, and Amerisource Burgeon, together generated $430 billion worth of uh, distribution in 2015. They account for 85% of the drug distribution market. They have agreed to pay $230 million in fines to the feds and to West Virginia, which has been ravaged by this opiate epidemic, due to their irresponsible marketing, irresponsible production of these opiates. The... uh, Epidemic continues, and with Tom Price in charge, uh, all three of these companies gave between 13000 and 15000 each to Representative Marino, who then wrote legislation that made it harder for the DEA to take the companies off the registry that allows them to distribute those controlled opiates. The uh, companies, if they were dealt this penalty, they could incur a far greater financial hit than if they were just fined. And what happens with these pharmaceutical companies, they work those fines into their pricing. They work those fines into their cost-benefit analysis. They recognize, well, we can produce this drug and we can make X amount of profit from it. That'll be more than worth having to pay the $400 million fine by the time they finally figure out what we've been up to. There were three versions of this act that Marino introduced. It's called the Ensuring Patient Access and Effective Drug Enforcement Act. It finally passed the House through 2015. And uh, the legislation was signed by Barack Obama, but the deputy administrator of the DEA, Joseph Ranazizi, had a uh, talk with congressional staffers uh, that said the sponsors were supporting criminals. And that the bill would protect defendants, a.k.a. the pharmaceutical companies. And Marino told Ranazizi's boss the comments offended him and asked the Justice Department to investigate whether he had tried to intimidate other members of Congress. Then, of course, Ranazizi was eventually replaced by the DEA. Farmed Out's Few Berman told IBT, quote, Representative Marino has made it very clear he is on the side of opioid manufacturers. The bill he supported made it hard for the DEA to go after distributors and wholesalers of drugs. The DEA was having its hands tied even before Trump got into office, but this appointment will make things much worse, end quote. Now, Trump, of course, has convened this uh, President's Commission on Combating Drug Addiction and the Opioid Crisis. It's led by New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and he's, of course, fighting the opioid epidemic in New Jersey as well. But, of course, New Jersey is home to 14 of the world's 20 largest pharmaceutical companies. So we'll see how much he wants to put the strong arm on the pharmaceutical manufacturers as well. Marino has not, however, been friendly to the marijuana industry. Marino voted against allowing VA doctors to prescribe medical marijuana to veterans 
in states where medical marijuana is legal. Tom Price also voted against lowering obstacles to the production of hemp. The guy votes against hemp, for God's sake. He even voted against legislation that would have prevented the Justice Department from going after medical marijuana businesses that are legal under state law. He aligns well with Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who, of course, has often said that uh, marijuana is only slightly less awful than heroin. And he wants to go back to the just say no war on drugs policies of the 1980s. The head of FDA that Trump has nominated, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, he's advocated for deregulation in the medical industry and received over $400,000 from pharmaceutical and medical device companies between 2013 and 2015. Finally, uh, last bit on Tom Price, Representative Price from Pennsylvania. He also has a background in law enforcement. He was a former federal prosecutor before becoming a congressman. He had to resign in 2007 when it was revealed that a casino owner in Pennsylvania put his name down as a reference for a gaming application at the same time Marino's office was investigating the guy for ties to organized crime. (laughs) After his resignation, Marino went to work as the in-house counsel for that same man's businesses. And then in 2010, during his first run for Congress, the morning call in Allentown reported that Marino's resignation came as he was being investigated by the Justice Department for his ties to that uh, gamer in Pennsylvania. The investigation was closed when Marino resigned. He won his last election by nine percentage points over the Democratic incumbent. And then that margin grew to 40 points during the last election. Now, if there is, uh, if Tom Price is elevated to head of ONDCP, that means that his congressional seat will be vacant. There will have to be a special election. The county where his district is uh, seated, uh, Lincoming County, uh, Donald Trump won uh, 69 to 25 over Hillary Clinton. So it is likely the congressman that would replace him would also be a Republican. That county, by the way, also saw an 80% increase in drug overdose deaths between 2014 and 2015. Tom Price is a disaster as being head of the Office of National Drug Control Policy, yet another drug czar who believes the only bad drugs out there are the ones that corporations don't make. As far as the corporate drug pushers, it looks like Tom Price is their best friend. He helped them in the Congress to be safe from prosecution, to be more protected from the DEA going after them for their irresponsible and dangerous mass marketing of these addicted, addictive opiate painkillers. Once again, we just get another friend to Big Pharma and another enemy to medical marijuana. This just fits right in with the zeitgeist we see lately of Insys Therapeutics, the pharmaceutical company in Arizona that makes the opioid painkiller fentanyl, who donated a half million dollars to defeat marijuana legalization in Arizona. Big Pharma recognizes that medical marijuana is a death knell for their profit margins. And they're going to do everything they can to keep whole plant out of our hands until they can get the FDA trials completed for their versions of cannabinoid pharmaceuticals. If you want to fight for medical marijuana, if you want patients to be able to grow their own and have access to whole plant medicine, 
you're going to have to join us and start fighting for legalization. We are thinking of the children. We're thinking about getting them better cures than the opiates and the benzos and all the terrible drugs that we're pumping into these kids day after day. It's 420 in the Mountain Time Zone. Happy 420 to my friends in the Rocky Mountains. We'll be back with our drug war data mining, a new poll from Yahoo News on weed and the American family. Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. At least they pay me to say that. Are you sure this is legal? I don't know. It's fun, though, isn't it? A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in Drug War Data Mining, we take a look at a poll from Yahoo News and Marist University entitled Weed and the American Family. Got some very interesting questions on this. Let's get right to it. The first question asks, regardless of whether or not you have children, Thinking as a parent, which one of the following would you most worry about your child doing? And out of all the adults they surveyed, 24% were worried if their kids would smoke cigarettes, 21% worried if their kids would use marijuana, 21% worried if their kids drank alcohol. But these figures change quite a bit depending on whether or not the parent has tried or used marijuana themselves. In the case of the parents who have tried marijuana, 30% were worried about cigarette smoking compared to 11% for marijuana, 23% for alcohol. And for parents that use marijuana, 38% worried about smoking cigarettes, 5% about marijuana, 23% about alcohol. And for those parents who regularly use marijuana, 42% worried about smoking cigarettes with only 3% worried about using marijuana and 24% about drinking alcohol. This shows us that the parents with increasing use of marijuana are still about the same uh, uh, worry when it comes to have about the same worry when it comes to alcohol, but their worry increases for cigarettes and decreases for marijuana. When asked whether or not you have children uh, 
when that same question was asked as far as men and women go, the figures were just about the same as were the figures for uh, asking people by race. Not much difference there in the parental questions. Then when we take a look at the question for Got to scroll down here just a bit. There's so many. Uh, have you smoked cigarettes? That's not the one I wanted there. Let's get through to it here. So many questions. <laughs> I didn't scroll through this quickly. Uh, of the people they asked, have you yourself ever tried marijuana? Of national adults, 52% now say they have tried marijuana. We now have a majority of American adults admitting that they have tried marijuana. Now, this breaks down 55 versus 49 Men versus women. More men have smoked than women. And when we look at uh, these figures by race, white folks, 53%, African-Americans, 54%, Latinos, 43% on whether or not they have used marijuana, even just once. Another question uh, asks about uh, their use of alcohol and cheating on tests and uh, all sorts of interesting questions here in the survey. The uh, other interesting point in this poll, a couple more interesting points to note in this poll, is that according to the poll, 83% support legalization of marijuana for medical purposes, but are divided about adult use. 49% approval for adult use, 47% disapproval for adult use. 60% of the parents who use marijuana at least once or twice a year say their children are aware that they use it. And 54% of them have spoken directly to their kids about their marijuana use. Similarly, 72% of adult children who use pot say their parents know that they do. 72% are out of the cannabis closet to their parents. In fact, many families are now taking marijuana together. Already nearly half, 47% of parents who use marijuana say they have consumed it in front of their adult children, shared it with them, or done both. And more than one in four users say they've consumed marijuana in front of or with their own parents. The poll also shows that adults who have had some experience with marijuana, whether they use it regularly or tried it just once, are less likely to be concerned about their effects of marijuana on themselves or others. This suggests, of course, people with experience with marijuana know that the reefer madness lies are just that. And as more people become aware of this and know other people that use cannabis, it's a whole lot more likely that this number is going to decrease. The number of people who think marijuana use is somehow dangerous. Now, the uh, concern of the parents here as to whether or not their kids smoke pot they find that it's at the bottom of the list of concerns, even below whether or not their kids get involved with sex or cheating on a test. Marijuana use is of less concern to parents who smoke pot than cheating on a test is to those same parents. This shows us that this, uh, this Yahoo News Marist poll is showing us that we are continuing to win the hearts and minds of the American people. That the American people, by and large, unless they're over the age of 60 or they're Republican, support the legalization of marijuana. And we're now way into supermajority territory, 80 to 90 percent support for the medical use of cannabis as recommended by a physician. 
So the people continue to be far ahead of the politicians on this issue. And in the states where local and statewide initiatives are possible, it is just about guaranteed that any positive reform is likely to pass. The question is whether or not the people in those states can raise the money and raise the signatures necessary to get those things on the ballot. Once they're on the ballot, they are going to pass. When it comes to the states that do not have the initiative procedure, it is seeming to me that the legislatures are in a run-out-the-clock mode, that they are trying to delay and obstruct any changes to their marijuana laws that would prevent big pharma, would prevent the big corporations from being able to dominate this market and be able to control as much of the distribution of the plant as possible. I've said it before, I'll say it again, the fight for whole plant access is now the fight for adult use legalization. Medical marijuana leads straight to the bottom line at GW Pharmaceuticals. You keep fighting only for medical marijuana, and your marijuana is going to become only medical. we got to take a break, and when we come back in our activist agenda, we've got highlights from this weekend's Boise Hemp Fest. Lori Duckworth's speech coming up first, and then my speech at the Boise Hemp Fest in the Radical Rant. Stay tuned. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Looking for the 420 friendliest way to visit beautiful legal potland, Oregon? I'm Lori Duckworth, inviting you to come stay with us at Delta 9 House and Studios. You get your own private room with queen bed and access to our high-speed Wi-Fi, premium entertainment system, and more. We'll even cook you breakfast. Look us up on Facebook at Delta 9 House. That's Facebook.com slash Delta number 9 House. Delta 9 House is booked through Airbnb and licensed by the City of Portland. The Russ Belleville Show. Providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they pay me to say that. Hey, this is great, man. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Activism begins with ACT. The Russ Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Another activist that got uh, basically drafted into being an activist by having her uh, medical place raided, Lori Duckworth has come here from Oregon just to tell you about her struggle and what she's been doing and what she thinks should be done. Lori Duckworth. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back in Boise. This is my third year speaking here in Idaho, second year in Boise. Welcome to Boise Hemp Fest. You know, I'm really proud proud of being part of the Idaho family here. I have some really great friends here. My good friend, Russ Belleville, this is his home. Bill Espenson lives here. You all know Bill. He's been a leader here. 
in Idaho for quite a while. He was rated at the 45th parallel in Ontario. And like Steve said, I was rated too down in Medford, Oregon. I was the former director of Southern Oregon Normal for four and a half, almost five years. My facility sat next to the federal courthouse in Southern Oregon. And if you remember me talking last year, or you've followed my story, it's tough in Southern Oregon. We had that wonderful Sheriff Mike Winters. You might remember him from the shows on TV, hanging out of the helicopter saying he was going to end cannabis and all the grows. Oregon, well, it didn't quite work. We're legal in Oregon now, and you all know that because you shop regulated. Regulated. Thank you, Adela. Because you shop over in Huntington. Came through Huntington yesterday. Quite a sight to see. Two dispensaries. We made that possible in Oregon 18 years ago with the Oregon Medical Marijuana Act. You heard my good friend Lee Berger just tell you the story about Jack and John starting Voter Power with himself, Lee Berger. Voter Power was a great organization. I was part of Voter Power for a long time before starting Southern Oregon Normal. That's how you start it, people. You start talking to each other. You start talking to your legislators. You vote out the assholes that don't think like you and don't represent you. You put people in office that do. You put yourselves in office. You don't have to be the prettiest or the ugliest. You just have to do it. You have to dress appropriately and break that stigma. That's for sure. Now, I'm not saying anything against tie-dye because Lee Berger wears a tie-dye tie to almost everything he goes to, including court appearances as an attorney. He was my husband's attorney after we were raided. We beat 29 felonies for myself and 28 felonies for my husband. They made up the charge so we could take a plea bargain to get rid of those felonies, and we were only charged with one felony. The felony was delivery of more than one ounce of cannabis to another medical marijuana cardholder for no consideration, which under the Oregon Medical Marijuana Act is legal. But it was the only way we could beat the 29 and 28 felonies. We got 11 months of bench probation, and our guns and ammunition were returned to our adult son still living in our home. That's never been done in the state of Oregon. We had to close Southern Oregon Normal. I moved away from Southern Oregon and to Portland, kept working in the cannabis business, running a clinic, certifying people for the Oregon Medical Marijuana Program. We've got over 76,000 patients when once they only thought there'd be about 500. I got to keep my patient card. And after we were convicted, I was diagnosed with cancer. I fought for two years, no chemo, no radiation. Two months ago, I'm lily white clean. Don't ever let anybody tell you that your use of cannabis is wrong. It's not. I'm a mother, I'm a grandmother, I'm a community leader, I'm a businesswoman. And I will never stop fighting for what is right, neither should you. Don't ever let anybody put shame upon you. But you've got to get involved. I stay pretty close with all the people over here by phone, fax, email, Skype. 
I hear that a lot of you have just been waiting on everybody else to get it done. And that's not how you get it done. I understand you're afraid. I didn't like sitting in jail for eight days. I'd never been in trouble at all except a speeding ticket or two. That's how they control you. That's how Butch Otter controls you. You can't be afraid. You've got to get out there. Talk to each other. Talk to people at church. Did you know that even God-fearing people use cannabis? What if God smoked cannabis? Get signed up back there with the Green Majority, like Dana said. You're going to hear a lot of speakers today talk. I'm going to talk later about some other stuff. This will probably be about the only time I talk about what happened to me because I've moved past it. Everybody has to look forward to the future, but you can't forget the mistakes of the past. Look to Oregon. Look to Washington. Decriminalization is about the best way to go. That means equal rights for everybody. If you guys have any questions, you'll see us all walking around here today. All of us. You probably recognize our faces. Stop us. Talk to us. We want to share our stories. Thanks, everybody, for coming out today. It's a beautiful day. That's Lori Duckworth speaking at the Boise Hemp Fest this Saturday. It uh, was a great event, folks. They tripled their output from last year. Tripled their attendance, I should say, from last year. But as the uh, chat room noted, there's no 420 at the uh, Boise Hemp Fest. There's no smoking, not even of tobacco in that park, much less cannabis. So we like to call it our little tolerance break. We got more highlights coming up here in this hour and next hour. Coming up next in the Radical Rant, my speech at the Boise Hemp Fest, excoriating Governor Butch Otter. Then in hour two, you hear from Kat Jeter, Craig Burress, Cheryl Schumann, Megan Holt, and Adela Falk. Stay tuned. We're back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Coming on Monday, May 1st, 2017, a new daily podcast dedicated to the expanding world of medical cannabis, adult marijuana, industrial hemp, and spiritual ganja. Featuring leaders and experts from the worlds of activism, business, research, and entertainment. It's the Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belleville, premiering May 1st on MJAgenda.com. Learn more at MJAgenda.com. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. Victory over drugs is our cause, a just cause. All right, maybe you're high, too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am here. That was the point. I think it would be a mistake to leave the state. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. 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 
Duckworth, everybody. Does that woman look like a convicted felon to you? Does that look like a big bad criminal walking off the stage? Does that look like somebody who needs to be behind bars? I don't think so. Do you think so? Hell no. Who up there likes marijuana? Who up there likes hemp? Who up there likes cannabis? Who up there likes ganja? How many more synonyms for marijuana do you think I can think of? My name is Russ Belville. I am a writer for High Times and for Weed News and for Green State and for the San Francisco Chronicle. And I host a live daily talk radio program called The Marijuana Agenda with Russ Belville. I've just logged my 1900th episode. I've done 300,000 air miles flying around this country in the last five years. I've spoken in 60 cities in three different countries. So much for the A-motivational syndrome. I'm a motivated man, and that's because I grew up here in Idaho. I'm Nampa High School, class of 85. Go Bulldogs! Boise State, class of 89, go Big Blue! My friends and my family still live here. But I don't get a visit as often as I'd like, because every time I come back into this state, I'm a criminal. In fact... I'm a criminal right now. You may not realize it, but right now, on this stage, I'm committing a Class B misdemeanor. No, it's not because I'm not in possession. I wouldn't bring weed to Idaho. I have friends here. They've got plenty of weed. I don't bring weed to Idaho. No, I'm a felon. or I'm committing a misdemeanor right now because under Idaho law, Idaho is one of four states where it is illegal to be under the influence of a controlled substance in public. Six months, $1,000 fine if they catch you with that. Now, what do they mean by under the influence? Because obviously I'm not high, right? I'm speaking pretty well. I'm getting along pretty well. I dressed up nice. So what do they mean by under the influence? Well, according to Quest Diagnostics, which is the nation's largest drug testing firm for workplaces, they say active THC not the metabolites, the active THC molecule that causes impairment is detectable in one's blood or hair for up to 30 days if you're a chronic consumer. Now, I am a chronic consumer. I don't smoke pot every day. I smoke pot about every four hours. So yesterday I was in Oregon, and I'm above the age of 21 in the state of Oregon, so it is perfectly legal for me to consume cannabis. And thanks to my friends at Hotbox Farms out there in Huntington, Oregon. Have you guys made the drive to Huntington? Who's made the drive to Huntington? Oregon's tax base thanks you. I bet Idaho would like some of that tax money. Wouldn't that be nice to keep some of that money here? Wouldn't it be nice not to have to make that 70-mile drive back and forth? Wouldn't it be nice not to have to worry about Idaho State Police profiling you on your way back? Wouldn't that be nice? But yeah, I'm committing a crime right now. I'm surprised cops aren't here arresting me right this moment because I am under the influence of THC. It's in my system. This is a misdemeanor right now. In fact, this is a misdemeanor that if they catch me three times in five years, it's worthy of 120 days in jail, mandatory minimum. 
Four months in jail, mandatory minimum, if three times in five years I'm high in public. Well, guess what? I've been to this hemp fest the past three years. So no, not, not only am I committing a misdemeanor, I'm subject to 120 days in jail, mandatory minimum, with a one-year maximum. Wow. So I got to thinking, man, that's, that's a hell of a crime. Six months, $1,000 fine, six months. $1,000 fine, lifetime criminal record, six months, $1,000 fine. Why aren't they arresting me? Where's the, where's the cops? It's, it's a terrible crime. In fact, did you know, under Idaho law, the punishment for being high in public is equal to the punishment for first time driving under the influence. That's right. The crime I'm committing right now in Idaho is punishable by the same penalty is if someone gets drunk, gets above .08, gets pulled over by a cop, fails a breathalyzer, same punishment. Does that sound right to you? Hell no. Hell no. In fact, if I walked off this stage right now and selected one of you at random and punched you in the face, that's a simple assault, class B misdemeanor, six months, $1,000 fine. Just like being high in public. Does that sound right to you? If I was uh, going to school back at Boise State University over there across the river, and I formed a little club, and I decided, hey, if you want to join my little club at school, you got to wear a pink T-shirt and some panties on your head and go around the walk, waddling like a duck. That's called hazing. That's a six-month, $1,000 fine, just like being high in public. In fact, let's say you've got a room. You've got a room somewhere. You've got a building somewhere. It's got a locked door. I want to see what's inside that room. So I go and make a fake key. I counterfeit a key to break into your locked room. Guess what? Six months, $1,000 fine, just like being high in public. It doesn't even have to be a room, folks. It could be your computer. I'd like to get in your computer. Now, I'm not going to delete anything. I'm not going to post anything. I'm not going to mess up anything in your computer. But I'm going to hack into your computer. Six months, $1,000 fine, just like being high in public. Well, maybe I'd like to change these laws. Maybe I think it's dumb that being high in public is six months, $1,000 fine. So I get in my car in Portland and I drive over here to Idaho during election day. And I go and I fraudulently vote, because I'm not registered to vote in Idaho. I've, I commit voter fraud. Guess what the penalty for that is? Six months, $1,000 fine, just like being high in public. Now, suppose the state of Idaho is pretty upset that I committed voter fraud. And they want to take me to court. Take me to criminal court. And they've got you, all of you folks out here that heard me say this. And so you're all witnesses. And I know you're going to testify against me. So I come to Idaho and I come up to your house and I knock on your door and I say, Hey, don't you testify against me. You're going to regret it. Oh, you really don't want to testify against me. That's called intimidating a witness. That's a class B misdemeanor for which the penalty is six months, $1,000 fine, just like being high in public. Finally, first time driving without a license. If I don't have a driver's license in Idaho or any other state and I get in a car and they pull me over, the penalty for that is six months, $1,000 fine, just like being high in Idaho. Does anybody think this makes any sense whatsoever? Hell no. Hell no. 
So we've got to change this because the only way we can possibly change this in Idaho is to have to use the initiative process. Are y'all familiar with your governor, Butch Otter? The evil gay sea mammal? So a couple of speakers earlier talked about how Idaho in the Senate in 2013 passed a resolution that said, Marijuana shall never, ever, no way, no how, for nobody, under no circumstances, be legal ever, ever, never. Now, we turned to him and said, hey, you guys know it's, uh, uh, it's illegal now, right? <laughs> like, yeah, but damn it, it's never going to be legal. Two years later, after Utah and 14 other states passed CBD oil bills, you've seen this, right? The little epileptic kids. Little kids have seizures. They can take, an epilep- they can take a CBD oil that cures their seizures. I know a little girl in Texas who's gone 600 days seizure-free because of CBD oil. So finally, even the Idaho legislature went, oh man, (laughs) we can't have these little sick kids, you know, getting on the TV news and making us look heartless. So the Idaho legislature finally came around and passed a CBD bill. And Governor Butch Otter vetoed it. Governor Butch Otter is the only governor in the United States who has vetoed a CBD oil bill. I got a copy of Governor Otter's veto statement. The reason why we can't give non-psychoactive CBD oil to epileptic kids to cure their seizures is because, quote, CBD has the potential to exacerbate health problems and decrease public safety. Decrease public safety? Little kids curing their epilepsy decreases public safety? Here's why I don't believe Governor Butch Otter. Because I pay attention to Idaho politics, and I saw that Governor Butch Otter this year signed a law that allows people in their cars on the freeway to pass other cars at up to 15 miles an hour faster than the speed limit if the car they're passing is going slower than the speed limit. So I did some math. That means on that stretch of freeway coming back from Huntington, Oregon, where it hits 80 miles an hour, You could pass someone at 94 miles an hour, and it wouldn't be a crime. And the speeding laws are based on from that 15 over, right? So you'd have to be going 95 to 109 to get a speeding ticket. You'd have to go 110 before that reckless driving kicks in. But we can't give CBD oil to little epileptic kids because we're worried about public safety. (laughs) Meanwhile... Go ride your Harley without a helmet at 95 miles an hour out by Marsing. That's fine. We're cool with that. We can't give CBD oil to little kids, but this year, Governor Otter signed a law that allows adults to concealed carry firearms anywhere but a school or prison with no permit or no training. Now, I'm fine with that, whatever. I'm not here for the gun debate. I'm just saying, if you're worried about public health and safety, and you think CBD oil... Is something to worry about more than people permitless concealed carry. You're off your rocker, Butch Otter. I don't understand how in Idaho, medical marijuana, an, an oncologist with dozens of years of medical training and six figures in student loan debt can't recommend medical marijuana to a suffering cancer patient, but under state law... An untrained, unregulated 19-year-old can serve alcohol in a bar. Uh, Alcohol kills people. Marijuana does not. Oncologists have training. Bartenders do not. What is going on in this state? 
for some reason, it's illegal for me to smoke a joint. That would be bad. That would be unhealthy. That would be against public safety. But if I want to go down to Twin Falls and strap a rubber band on my leg and jump off the bridge that Evil Knievel tried to clear that canyon, 486 drop foot drop to the river, no permit required. Go right ahead. Strap a rubber band on your legs. Jump off a bridge. But don't smoke a joint before you do it. For some reason in this state, we can't treat little kids with CBD oil. But I can drive about 30 miles down the freeway and go to a fireworks shop that literally has red and blue floors. On the blue side of the floor is all the stuff you're legally allowed to buy and use in Idaho. On the red side of the floor is all the stuff you're allowed to buy in Idaho, but it's illegal to use it in Idaho. Wink. Some reason, that's not a fear, but the kids on the CBD oil, that's a big problem. It's weird what states are afraid of, isn't it? We're not afraid of the guns. We're not afraid of the explosives. We're not afraid of the alcohol. We're not afraid of the high-speed motorists. But we're afraid of the CBD oil for little kids with epilepsy. And you know what else is illegal in Idaho? I was just looking up some Idaho laws. You know what else is illegal? Fornication. If two unmarried people commit sexual acts with one another, that's still illegal under Idaho law. Adultery is illegal under Idaho law. If two people that aren't married are doing it, that's also another charge. And infamous crimes against nature, otherwise known as doing it in creative ways, let's say for the family crowd, those are all still illegal in Idaho. Now, they're unconstitutional under federal law, and they'd be thrown in a court. But they're still the on the books. The the That's how messed up the legislature and the governor of this state are. Your governor is so cruel that you had a bill this year to repeal the sales tax on groceries. So poor people trying to feed their kids could maybe get 6, 10, 12 bucks off their grocery bill. He said, oh, it's not worth it. There's not enough savings there. This is a guy. Do y'all know what asset forfeiture is? Yep. Civil asset forfeiture is when the cops say, oh, you're a criminal. We're going to take your stuff. And they do. But here's the thing. They don't have to actually charge you with a crime. They don't even have to prove you committed a crime. They can just say, oh, well, we found weed in your vehicle, and so we're going to take your vehicle. There was a case in Twin Falls. I don't know why this keeps happening in Twin Falls, but a case in Twin Falls where a couple got a situation where the cops found a baggie of marijuana and a pipe, like a personal use amount, but... They also found $12,000 in cash in the house. So obviously, these people must be drug dealers, and we're going to seize their money. This happens all the time across the United States. In fact, last year was the first year in United States history where the cops stole more property and money than the robbers did. At the federal level, civil asset forfeiture outweighed all the robbery and burglary totals in America. The cops are stealing more than the burglars are. And this is going on in Idaho, which the Institute of Justice has rated a D- minus for its asset forfeiture. Even the Idaho legislature said, you know what? This kind of messed up. Because, you know, Idaho Republicans are kind of libertarian. They're like, well, you know, we ought to state's rights. We ought to take care of ourselves. The federal government ought to back out. So the Idaho legislature passed a bill and said, hey, here's an idea. You have to get a conviction before you can steal people's stuff. And it passed with overwhelming support. And guess what? 
Governor Butch Otter, the evil gay sea mammal, vetoed it. That's the problem. Governor Butch Otter. Now, in every state across the land and at the federal level, we have checks and balances. We have a system where the legislature passes laws, the governor signs or vetoes them, and then the legislature can override that veto. In most of these states, it requires a two-thirds majority to override a governor's veto. Now, the CBD oil bill for the little epileptic kids passed overwhelmingly, way more than a two-thirds majority. The grocery tax repeal passed with a way overwhelming majority. The asset forfeiture bill passed with a way overwhelming majority. So why isn't the Idaho legislature overturning Butch Otter's vetoes? Because I learned something else about Idaho. Idaho is one of only six states with an override-proof governor. And the reason why is because only the governor can call the legislature into session. So guess what he does? He waits till the last day of the session, vetoes everything, closes shop, and says, Bye, everybody. And they can't do a thing about it. They can't convene themselves back into session to change that law. That's what you're up against here in the state of Idaho. And I give you that long diatribe about the law here, long diatribe about the politics here, to make it crystal clear that if you want change in this state, you can't come up to me and say, hey, Russ, when are they going to legalize marijuana? Because that's the wrong question. The question is, when are you going to legalize marijuana? Every state that has legal marijuana so far has passed it through the initiative process. Every state that has legal marijuana so far banded together with volunteers, people just like you, who had an idea, who had a passion, who had a need to change these laws, to end this cruel prohibition, to say, put water, and to help the kids that need CBD oil. Are you with me? Will we end this? I'm going to pull down a tradition from Seattle Hemp Fest where I've been going for over 10 years now. My good friend Steve up there, emceeing all the time. Let's get some positive vibes here and let's let them hear it at the Capitol. Give me an H! Oh, come on now. That's just a lowercase H. I need like a capital H. Give me an H! Give me an E! Give me an M! Give me a P! What's that spell? What's that smell? Well, not here, but what are we going to legalize? All right, that was my uh, first speech in the morning at uh, the Boise Kemp Fest. Took place at the Julie Davis Park, an amazing event. Sarah Frank and all the volunteers, Bill Espenson and Billy Fisher and Ryan and who else am I? So many of you, I can't even name y'all. Hope you enjoyed some of the photos from the event as well. We've got more highlights coming up for you live viewers that are watching on YouTube. A few podcast listeners, that's all the time we got for the first hour. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the Marijuana Agenda starts on Monday, May 1st. Same place, same time, same guy, same news, new look, new sound. So join us Monday, May 1st for the Marijuana Agenda. And follow us at Marijuana MJ Agenda Show on Twitter and MJ Agenda on everything else. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show.
The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth.